Yeah, good morning. Uh, my name is Raul. If we haven't met, um, you may have seen me around uh, here at Bread. I volunteer in a couple different areas, um, and I'm excited to speak this morning. Yeah, glad you're here. Um, we've been in a series covering the letter to the Colossians. Um, the previous teachings are online. If you want to go back and take a listen, um, bread.church forward slash podcast. Um, and today we're going to look at uh, chapter 2. Um, and as we read this section, we've transitioned from the heavy, theological, poetic, worshipful language of Jesus in the previous chapter. And now we're transitioning into a more um, practical Uh, We're going to be looking at the implications of what all that dense theology means for us um, and look at some of Paul's exhortations to the Christians at Colossae. Um, A bit of overview on the church at Colossae. Um, The church wasn't actually started by Paul. Uh, He hadn't met them face to face. It was actually started by one of um, Paul's friends named um, Epaphras, who took the message of Jesus to his hometown and started this church. Um, but at some point along the way, um, Epaphras met some challenges, and he reached out to Paul to ask for help. Um, and so Paul responds, and he writes this letter. Um, uh, and in this, in this first section that we're going to look at, um, we read of uh, the social pressures that the Colossians were facing um, and Paul's pastoral response to this group. Um, I find this comforting. Um, I hope you do too, but you'll be happy to know that the churches in the Bible had some crazy issues that they were, that they were going through, you know, as they were just trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. Um, and like us, we face our challenges, and um, there's something about the challenges that we see um, the Christians facing in the scriptures that uh, should encourage us. Um, we find ourselves uh, taking and gleaning from the wisdom, and I know it's tempting to just like write off the challenges, but really, Um, we're going to dive into some of the things that they were facing and how they met Jesus in the midst of it. Um, But Paul summarizes this entire letter, all of of Colossians, in verses 6 and 7. And it connects, like I said, the previous worship themes with the practical uh, practical implications. Um, And so let's let's dive in. Colossians 2, 6, uh, Colossians 2, 6, it says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ." For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith. 
in the, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Pretty good chunk of scripture. Um, but in high school, I, I skated for about four years, and to be honest, I wasn't very good at it. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Mid-90s, um, my entire life is literally that, my entire teen years is that movie. Um, but I, I, up until I met Jesus, and I skated, you know, for some time, and I was able to get a couple tricks down, nothing too impressive. Um, I actually brought a picture here to show you guys. This is me at 15 doing a board slide. There's a rail. It's not that tall. Sorry. Like I said, I didn't do anything too impressive. Um, but whenever I would do something that, you know, took, was a little bit more exciting, a little bit more uh, bigger, I would have my friends around me and they would always say this thing. Um, just as we, just as, as I'm about to, you know, go off a loading dock or go over some stairs, my friends would turn to me and they, they would say, hey, you, you got this. Just stick with it. Don't bail. Don't bail. And to some extent, this is what Paul is saying to the Colossians. He's saying, you have Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Don't bail. Keep on with Jesus. Um, and... We read that, we read it, Paul writes, he says, continue your lives in him. This should be here at the forefront of our minds. As, as we read um, the rest of this letter, Paul is saying his main exhortation is, hey, just keep on with Jesus. You already have Jesus. He's not going anywhere. Just keep on with him. Verse, uh, verse 18, um, we read of the first kind of, challenge that the Colossians were facing, and um, uh, the, the social pressures that the Colossians were facing had to do with um, some teachings that were kind of coming into the church and into the minds of um, the believers there at Colossae, and the first one came from these mystical polytheists who were essentially saying, hey, you're missing out. You, you should just add Jesus to all these other gods that we're, that we're worshiping. Like, don't, don't just limit yourself to Jesus. Like, come along, just add him along. You know when you go on Amazon, there's like the add-on items? Just like, add Jesus. This is like, this is what they were saying to the Christians. Um, and in Colossae, there were the gods of money, of sex, of music, and they suggested simply just adding Jesus onto the mix. Um, their assumptions was that Jesus wasn't enough and that the Christians at Colossae were limiting themselves and that they needed these other gods to experience true fullness. Um, and so they asked, why not just add on to Jesus? Why not just add on to Jesus? That's because Jesus doesn't need anything or anyone to complete him. See, if we 
add to Jesus, we would actually be subtracting from Jesus. Because Jesus is already complete. Jesus is already full. And in him is perfect love. In him is goodness. In him is mercy. In him is everything that we need. See, Jesus is out to make things right. And we don't, we don't need anything else. This is what Paul is telling the, the Christians at Colossae. Um, so G- and Jesus is everything that we need for a fulfilled life. See, these gods were said to have been selfish, manipulative, um, demanding, and fearful. And these Roman gods, or whatever our version is of them, they, they don't compare to who Jesus is. The question this passage asks of us is, why would we settle for anything less? Why would we settle for anything less than Jesus? See, we don't need to pick anything up. We don't need to add anything to Jesus. And if we have, it's better just leave it by the wayside. See, everything we need is in him. And anything else that we've maybe have put in place of Jesus will just let us down. It's like filling your car with diesel when it's meant for unleaded. You may get far, but you can only go so far. Um, We'll find ourselves restless and clinging for something just out of our reach. But Jesus, on the other hand, he satisfies richly and he fills deeply. See, the theologian Augustine, he wrote this. He wrote, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. You and God are meant to be close friends. You and God are meant to be close friends, to walk together, to be close. And when we're not in step, we feel it. It's, it's, like, it's like something inside needs to shift. Um, I, I like to think of it as like maybe one of those lights on our dashboard that comes on. Um, kind of just telling us like, hey, something's a little off. We, we need to come back. We need to come back. What I love about Jesus is there's always an opportunity to come back. And when we do, we find, uh, we find our souls in a deep rest. In that just closeness with him. And I think sometimes we have the impression that God is someone he's not. Like he's out to get us. Um, like he's out, like as soon as we get to him, you know, we've opened ourselves up or we've, we've come fully ourselves and, and the assumption may be that he's just going to pull the rug out from under us. Um, when I was six or seven, I, we, I remember my, we had a huge uh, backyard barbecue at my mom's house and um, my cousins came over and I was, I was a younger like the younger kid, you know, with all the big kids. Um, And I noticed that my cousins were throwing rocks, you know, back and forth at each other. You know, it's the Southern California version of a snowball fight. Um, But they were throwing rocks back and forth. And and I, I saw them and I was like, man, that looks like fun. And so my cousin, he called me over and he was like, hey, come here. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like, this is it. Like, I'm playing with the big kids now. 
And so he calls me over and he, he points me into this like certain area and he's like, go grab a rock over there. And so I run and I grab it and as I pick it up, it just like crumbles under, and under the pressure of my fist and I realize, oh, this wasn't a rock. This was dog poop. <laughs> Dried dog poop. And I think sometimes that, that may be the impression that we get of God, that he's going to lead us into something to trick us. He's going to pull the rug out from under us. Um, but God, God doesn't do this. Instead, what he wants is to flood our lives with meaning, with purpose, with joy, with peace, with love. Um, simply because he's that good. Simply because he's that good. And so we don't have to settle for anything less. The next verse, um, verses 11 and 12, I'll read these. It says, And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when, uh, when, you're, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The other pressure the Colossians were facing is one from the Jewish Christians uh, who claimed to be following Jesus but also still found themselves depending on the teachings of the Torah for salvation. And in short, what they were saying is if you want to be in-in, like not just in Jesus, but like in-in Jesus, you got to keep these rules. And Paul is, Paul is saying like, no. Paul addresses the laws about eating and circumcision, which this group would have considered to be the markings of belonging in Christ. Um, Paul, he brings that up and, and he addresses those. Um, and what Paul is saying is that Jesus fulfilled all the rules. Jesus fulfilled the law. There's no need to, to come to Jesus and then do more. Jesus did it all for us, and um, all the requirements were met with Je- were met in Jesus. This is what Paul keeps banging on over and over. And then, and there's no need to try to earn your way um, in in with Jesus because once you're in, you're in. There's no like spiritual hierarchy, you know. Um, and Paul is saying like, hey, this this is it. Like you guys belong. Like there is no, there is no need for, for all the other stuff. We're not more in with Jesus if we keep our kids from dressing up for Halloween or if we only listen to Christian rap. Um, if that was your upbringing like mine, I'm sorry. Um, but once you're in, you're, you're in. And the bit about baptism here simply reminds the Christians that they've committed to Jesus and partake in his life. And this means having a surrendering trust in Jesus and not in the rules or traditions that simply point to Jesus. See, just to, clar- just to clarify here, um, we're not in because we're baptized. We're in because of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and baptism is simply just our response in faith. Um, just wanted to clarify that. Um, but moving on, if, if you're uh, anything like me, um, you may have found belonging difficult growing up. 
Um, I'm Mexican. I grew up in L.A. speaking Spanish, but after being enrolled in public schools for some time, I lost most of it. Um, and I also didn't have a strong tie to Mexican culture. Um, I listened to Blink-182, and I skateboarded. I essentially belonged in a suburb somewhere in the OC. Um, <laughs> But this, the, the, and there's, growing up, I remember this scene from this movie uh, called Selena. You may have heard of it. If you haven't watched it, it's worth a watch. Um, but so the, the actor who plays Selena's dad, his name is um, Edward uh, Olmos, and he says this. He says, we have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans, both at the same time. And as, as a Mexican-American, I deeply related to this. I found it hard um, to find places where I belonged because I was both Mexican and American. Um, I didn't just fit in one category. I, and when you add the fact that I'm highly introverted, um, it makes you, I kind of just wonder, like, okay, how did I even get married? You know, like, how did I meet somebody outside of my social circle? Um, but before I committed to trusting Jesus, I, I really found that I didn't like people. Sorry. Um, I just didn't like people. I, I assumed that people didn't like me, and so my response was to not like them first. So that way, in some stupid way, I can get ahead. I don't know. I was 16. Um, but I, I found that, that I, I, I didn't like people. Um, but when I came to Jesus, you know, most would assume, okay, well, that, that went away. But the truth is it, it didn't. Um, it, it, it was a, a process. And you can imagine that, you know, at youth group sometimes I was a punk. Um, but don't worry, I, that was some time ago. But over some time, I noticed that my attitudes and my um, assumptions about others began to change. And they started to change when I found myself really belonging, really belonging first to Jesus and then on a larger scale to his family. Um, that's when I, my assumptions and my thoughts about people began to change. I realized that, oh, I, I actually belong. Like I, I may not have belonged, I may not have felt like I belong anywhere else, but this in Jesus, with Jesus, I, I actually belong here. And he made, the, he made it possible. Um, and that's what, that's what Paul is getting at here. See, belonging to Christ isn't hindered by ethnicity or gender or culture or language or social class or even personality type if you're an introvert like me. Um, none of that keeps us from belonging to Jesus. See, belonging to something, um, but belonging to Jesus is something that anyone can experience. Belonging to Jesus is for everyone. Belonging to something much bigger than ourselves, it gives us meaning. Being a part of what God is doing in the world and his loving on the world for us to share and all these things gives us a space to belong. See, so let's not make the mistake of deciding who's in, who's out, or count on the rules for, you know, getting in closer with Jesus, um, or to give us some spiritual ranking. See, Jesus picked us when he went to the cross, and our job is simply to respond. 
But I do think it's interesting that the two issues the Colossians faced are very relevant to us in our time. They faced, the, the, the two challenges were being complete, being that sense of being fulfilled, um, and the other one is belonging. And I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the antidote for these. That Jesus is the antidote for that feeling of being empty, that, 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 that absence that we feel. That Jesus is the antidote for division and hostility. That Jesus brings belonging. Jesus brings peace. He brings restoration. This is who Jesus is. And this is what Colossians is banging on about. There is no division in Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't turn anyone away. Jesus doesn't turn anyone away. Um, Verse 13, it says this. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Um. When Edison invented the light bulb and it became mainstream, um, humanity entered the age of electricity. Yay! No more, you know, wandering around with a lamp. Am I the only one stoked for that? Okay. Too much time has passed. We've taken electricity for granted. Um, but we're, as when we entered into the age of electricity, darkness wasn't a hindrance anymore. Now, offices were open all the time. Bars were open. Restaurants were open um, because of electricity. And so it is with Jesus. When Jesus, uh, in, when, when Jesus um, died on the cross and was resurrected, we entered a complete new age. Um, in the cross, life and forgiveness became accessible. See, death and sin can't keep us from life and God anymore. Jesus did away with it. We're in the age of forgiveness. We're in the age of forgiveness. It's cool. You don't need to worry. We're in the age of forgiveness. So once and for all, Jesus, he inaugurated life. He brought life in the kingdom for us. So we don't have to beat ourselves up over it or come up with these crazy ways of trying to earn it. It's here. It's accessible. But I think we fool ourselves into thinking that we could achieve a more satisfying existence apart from God. Because he's everything that we need. He's everything that we need. Verse 15. Um, you know, we have like a lot of like nice pictures of Jesus. You know, it's like paintings of Jesus carrying lambs and like kittens and like every kind of farm animal, you know. But I really like this picture of Jesus because this is like the badass Jesus right here that we're about to read. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That sounds gnarly. (laughs) 
but you may have um, noticed the repetition of in and with Christ, and it's intentional. See, the scriptures are telling us that these incredible advantages and benefits in Jesus um, are only available through Jesus. And so trying to strive for what Jesus offers apart from Jesus misses a point. Misses a point. See, because in Jesus, it's all, it's all in him. He's the center of it all. He's the point. He's the focal point. He's the, the center. Um, but I love this scripture because it, it shows us that Jesus can't be conquered, that Jesus can't be defeated, that Jesus overcame everything, and he's done it all. And so, I'm not good at sports, um, but I do know that it's not good to bet on a losing team. I know that much. Um, and here we get a glimpse, we get a picture of Jesus of Jesus' victory. And so let's just bet on the one who's already won. Let's just stick with him. Um, Don't bet on the losing team. Um, 